Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Tucked between the Cedar River and the monstrous pines of the Ghoulie Ridge lies an ancient field, tangled and wild, knee-high with last year's scrub, strewn with rocks the size of crouching men and sleeping deer. Its soil is deep and loamy. It has been planted but never plowed. It's spring, and up on the ridge a breeze lifts the broad crowns of the ghoulie pines, releasing yellow clouds of pollen that float across the highway and come to rest on every flat surface of Stonehaven Downs Retirement Village, including the hood of Colonel Randolph Jefferson Lee's new Honda Accord. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Marjorie Hudson about her stunning debut novel, Indigo Field. Set in rural North Carolina, Indigo Field opens with a retired colonel jogging around the upscale retirement community he and his wife moved to that she loves and he hates. He's crushed when she suddenly dies and he's forced to reevaluate all that he thought to be true. From there, the novel explores Black and Native narratives, stories of forgiveness and loss, covered up murders and histories of long-gone residents, all of which are remembered only by Reba, an elderly Black woman who speaks to the spirits of her dead relatives. Hi, Marjorie. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Galit. It's good to be here. I said I wasn't going to say this, but this might be the most magnificent novel I've read this year. What triggered the telling of this story? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you. You're going to make me cry. Um, What triggered is that I am a newcomer to the South, and I fell in love with it. Um, And I made some discoveries And I found out how ignorant I was about history in my adopted home. Um, And there was something about that that bothered me. For example, I didn't know there were lynchings in my part of the South in North Carolina. Uh, I thought that only happened in the Deep South. Uh, I didn't know that there were 20 nations of Native people in my part of the world not just uh, the Cherokee, who everybody from somewhere else might know. Um, And then it got personal. I went, uh, I was part of a river festival and the man who did the blessing at the beginning was 
from the Okaniche tribe, and I didn't, I'd never heard of that tribe. Um, a friend told me she had an adopted daughter, uh, and she told me that her daughter was Lumbee, which is a large tribe in North Carolina, and she said that the agency told her to keep it a secret and never tell her daughter who she was in her heritage. And I was shocked by that. Um, and then I started to research the story of the Lumbee and what crushing blows of prejudice and uh, violence they had suffered um, in the context of the county where they mostly live. So I began to be aware of injustice in my community that related to repressing past history. And I became very emotionally involved. And then one day I walked into my daughter's school and discovered the school was named for a black man, a poet, an enslaved man who sold his poems to buy his freedom uh, an extraordinary story, first black man to publish a book in the South, published two while living in slavery. So those kinds of stories shocked me and surprised me, and I wanted to know more. So I became an activist, I became a writer about uh, Southern history, and I became an activist for local black history. Uh, but it was more personal than that, really. It, it was the land where I lived, I found it, I live in rural central North Carolina and I felt this healing presence there. It was a place that really helped me thrive. And I realized that with my neighbors in a rural place, history is personal. You know, history is storytelling. And so all of these things were kind of turning in my head. This is so fascinating, but I wanna keep, I have so many questions. First, we meet Rand. There's several protagonists, but he's the first one. Rand is unhappy, unhappy, not at all in his element, and he knows he knows that all he does now is complain. Can you introduce briefly introduce him? Yes, Rand is a retired colonel. He lives in an upscale retirement village, and he's, as you say, he's just kind of a fish out of water. Uh, he doesn't feel at home there. Uh, and he finds himself running. He's a runner. And every day he escapes from this retirement village to across the highway where there is a field and there's a forest. And he tests his heart and runs up the hill. So he's, he's carrying a certain misery, a certain unspoken backstory, a burden. And he doesn't like to think about it. But all these things are revealed later in the novel, and then he suffers a great loss very early in the novel and has to set his feet on a completely different journey. Um, and he finds himself intersecting with the world outside the retirement village, which is full of mysterious people, including uh, Miss Reba Jones, who's a hard scrabble, elderly black woman farmer who one day uh, when he's running, he's looking at his phone and he runs into her car. Okay, don't say anything else. Don't give anything else away. But Miss Reba is sitting on her porch waiting to hear about the trial of the person who killed the niece that she'd raised. Yes, Danielle. Why, why is her testimony 
about the murderer not sufficient? And why does the the murderer get off on manslaughter when he actually shot this girl in the eye? Right. Well, I had to research that. Fortunately, uh, I had I, I had uh, lawyers and judges in my writing group, and uh, you really, you know, for one thing, it's hard to get a conviction if there is not a witness. And in the story, the witness has run away, which is uh, TJ, the young young teenage boy, and also uh, people. You know, often, as we all know from history and news and so on, it's very hard to get a conviction when there are people in the jury or people doing prosecutions who are prejudiced against uh, Black people. So I think there's that element to the story. I intended people to assume that element. But there's also a legal issue, uh, the technicality of not having a witness. So conviction... Um, and release could happen more easily because the murderer was a white man. Okay, so about about that, the murderer's son, who is a, a white kid who's underage, is the witness, and he runs away. But why would his testimony as a child mean anything? Well, you know, that's a legal issue that I'm not sure I could answer <laughs> sufficiently, but uh he is the only uh, witness, and uh, with permissions, I guess, he could have been called to the stand. Well, no, uh, was... What's I... interesting in that situation is that his, his father probably wouldn't give permission. You know, it would be kind of a, a guardianship issue. But his uh, the niece, Danielle, was uh, TJ's beloved stepmom, so he would have wanted to testify in her favor or in her, um, you know, against his father. And, and that comes up, it's a very complicated relationship that he has with his dad and uh, he's afraid of his father. So it's it's a fraught situation for him. And I put him in Miss Reba's life um, just to complicate matters, but also because her niece Danielle really loved TJ. And he's the reason that she stayed in an abusive relationship. Um, So, so, um, so now Miss Reba is an elderly black woman who also has Tuscarora blood. It's one of the nations that you, uh, one of the native nations that you spoke about in the Carolinas. Can you say something about that nation? It looked like you did some research on that. Yes, I sure did. Uh, it's a um, it's one of, it was one of the largest and more powerful uh, nations in central and eastern North Carolina just before the Tuscarora War, which fractured many of these uh, tribes and people and their way of life and scattered them. Uh, but there are survivors from many of the First Nations in North and South Carolina. Uh, the Tuscarora were known to be fierce. They were powerful traders. They kind of dominated the region. Many of the other uh, First Nations were much smaller. And so uh, I used those that kind of reputation in the primary sources I read to give a, a a body to the to the survivor, old Lucy, and and to the stories that are told in the novel. I loved the stories 
that uh, Reba's, Reba's imagining, or she's actually conversing with the dead, and she is um, talking about Lucy, her, um, her sort of an aunt, but she learns everything about the Tuscarora from Lucy, who is long gone. It's a fascinating side story there. Let's not, we don't want to give away too much about it. Well, um, old Lucy was a hermit living in the field when Miss Reba was a young child. And uh, one of the things I did with great care in the novel was to uh, give those stories through Miss Reba's voice speaking out loud rather than through my sort of poetic, flowery, white narrator's voice. And I, I made that change a few drafts in and it, it really brought this story alive and gave Miss Reba ownership over this story, which was important to me. So I, I love uh, the stories from childhood and discovering and learning things about uh, her family's native heritage and uh, playing, you know, children playing in the field and becoming friends with a, a mysterious older hermetic woman who has many stories to tell and who protects these children uh, in her in her own way uh, while always looking for vengeance as well. Reba's neighbor, Jolene, a widow, a widow raising uh, Bobo, her Down syndrome 15-year-old. Jolene's late husband, Luke, told her that his family cheated Miss Reba's people out of Indian field, now known as Indigo field. Oh. So he tell he told Jolene that she should always give Miss Reba the right of use and passage. Can you describe Reba and Jolene's relationship? Yes, so so interesting. Uh, Miss Reba showed up in when I was writing Jolene's backstory as the midwife and friend of Luke's, uh, who who shows up to help her with uh, healing herbs and so on um, when Bobo is born. And that's not part of this novel. It's part of a previously published novella. So she came as a surprise and uh, her voice was so powerful. She just really had a lot to say. And Jolene is her neighbor and tries to help and understands that as an older black woman who's really struggling that it's really her job to help. And, and uh, you know, Miss Reba was Luke's uh, dear, dear friend uh, and mentor. So she feels loyalty to her, but Miss Reba remains mysterious to her. And there's this moment always where there's a sort of a, a glass wall that shows up uh, when Jolene tries to become closer. Uh, so. I think that reflects the experiences, um, truly the experiences of black and white people and black people, especially in the rural South are self-protective and uh, try to stay a little distant uh, because being close to white people can be dangerous. And it's just kind of a rule of thumb, a rule of survival that she learned growing up through many traumas and crimes by white people against her family. And, and I think Jolene learns a lot. I think every character has a transformation in this novel. And 
one of the transformations for for Jolene is that she begins to see who Miss Reba really is. Um, she begins to understand the power of her heritage, her Tuscora heritage, um, and she begins to uh, understand who really owns the field that she has title to, and that is the uh, you know indigenous people who live there and Miss Reba's family who lived there before before her husband's family. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mm-hmm. So Miss Reba is the only one in the entire town willing to take on TJ, who is the kid, the son of the man who killed her great niece. And it, and it brings back memories of when she was growing up and her life was riddled with pain and loss, poverty, violence. But she and her sister then found Tuscarora Lucy. Um, why does she accept TJ, a foster child? She's in her 80s. She has no strength. She's exhausted. He's a kid. What, what's going on? Well, she has fostered children before, but only Black children, uh, Black boys. And uh, she doesn't want to do it, but she keeps hoping that she can communicate with her dead niece, Danielle, in some way. And Danielle starts to show up as a spirit child, uh, sort of a ghost that's only seen out of the corner of your eye or a sound up on the roof or a, or a voice next to her. But she begins, this child version of Danielle be- shows up. She starts to show up and ask for things. So it becomes a kind of a bargain. Miss Reba has to do what she's asked to do, tell the stories of the field, talk about the Indians in the field, and then she ups the ante and this child spirit tells Miss Reba she wants her to take in TJ. And that's when the rubber hits the road and Miss Reba, you know, against all good judgment and what she would prefer to do, takes him in hoping he'll mess up so she can give him back to the court system. Um, But I... TJ is a mess, but he's also an innocent in a way. And he also loved Danielle very much. And that becomes part of the story. And the one thing that they have in common, despite the fact that TJ is predictably um, doing all kinds of things in school and out that are uh, kind of typical acting out, possibly from his trauma, possibly just from being 15 years old, a white boy. So his relationship with her and the the Black church that she takes him to and the Black children she's fostered and that now go to his school uh, is, is fraught with his innocence and his need for acceptance. And he becomes really fast. He starts spying on her stories about the Indians in the field. 
And he becomes fascinated with these stories and goes to try to find Miss Lucy, uh, the hermit who lives on the island, not knowing she's long dead. So uh, he has many adventures and not to give too much away, but there's there's a reason that he's fascinated with with uh, Native people and with Tuscarora Lucy. And of course, he gets in a lot of trouble trying to find her on the island in the river. So um, that so was fun. Who, who were the big tree people that were bothering Jolene about the land? They tell her that Gooley Ridge is a four-point energy zone, a geographical spiritual center. And they ask her if she's ever heard of Edgar Case. I I didn't understand that. So what's going on there? Well, they're um they're based on what's ca uh, called the Great Trees or the Grand Trees movement. Um, there are organizations, and I'm an environmentalist from way back, involved in this various groups. But uh, it's uh, a movement of people who try to preserve large trees or honor them, and it that kind of movement. Um, uh, there are organizations that go and visit big trees, and some of them are a little wiggy. You know, the young woman who talks about the four-point energy zone um, comes off as pretty wiggy, but the the novel has a kind of a mystic quality. I call it uh, mystical realism in that the plants and animals and places, the natural places, have a life of their own, a kind of a spiritual quality and an ability to uh, absorb knowledge and absorb human stories. So it's not too far from my own view, which is that you know nature listens to us and pays attention to us, which may sound pretty wiggy, but I, I know they're discovering all the time the qualities of trees and their ability to communicate. And it wouldn't surprise me if scientists came up with uh, uh, some kind of awareness or proof that um, trees are communicating with people and vice versa in some way. But, you know, I went beyond the current science in, in my narration. So, uh, but this, this um, I think people need to honor nature now more than ever. Uh, we need to be near it. We need to um, let big trees and uh, anything that feeds life on the planet, we need to let uh, those uh, creature, living things know that we appreciate them and we care for them. And so that's part of what these big tree people do. I'm making a little bit of fun of them because they are a little wiggy and they play, you know, bongo drums or Indian drums and uh, they're, they're kind of, you know, relic hippies and college professors, but I sort of love them too, because they're my people. Okay. <laughs> so. um, I got to stop for a minute to comment on the lushness and beauty of your writing. It, it's not just a significant story you tell about history and race relations and Native Americans. It's filled with stunning descriptions of nature in which I, like the trees and the land and the earth are almost like uh, like other characters with minds of their own. Can you say more? Yeah, yeah. thank you so much. I um, I feel that myself. You know, I live on a family farm that's uh, thirty acres of pasture and and trees, and uh, 
I am a poet. Uh, you know, I was a poet. I've kind of turned to fiction. So language is important to me. I think that kind of language is inspired by how I feel. I was in a book club just this week and someone said, how did you know how to describe the feel with so much feeling? Do you go lie down in the field and commune with the field? And I, I had to say, yes, yes, I do. There are places where I do that. I pay attention to the succession of plants. You know, I've written about that scientifically or, or as a natural history writer. Uh, but I also try to notice those things. And really, it's it's uh, it's a lush beauty that I personally respond to that I find I find very healing. Um, uh, you can watch in the spring the layers of colors in the field. And I meant that as also as a metaphor for the layers of bones, the layers of history, the layers of understanding, and the and the psychological layers of of uh, backstory for people that moves us toward unity or understanding or connection. So uh, you know, it's part of the ecology of people as well as the ecology of place. And I am very careful with language. I test it um, many times before a sentence um, gets to be in my writing. Um, not all sentences make it. Um, I work on rhythms. I work on word choice. I work on placement in paragraphs, all those things that a poet might do. I'm a little compulsive about, so I really, I really, I'm so glad that you that you connect with that. So what are you working on next? I have in mind a novel I've been researching for a while about an American artist in Rome in the 1850s. Oh, that means a trip to Italy for you. That sounds wonderful. Yes, <laughs> looking for a fellowship. Ah, good luck with that. And thanks again Thank for talking you. to me today. I loved it. It's so good to talk with you, Galit. And uh, thanks for reading my book. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking to Marjorie Hudson about her gorgeous new novel, Indigo Field. Hope you all have something wonderful to cuddle up with tonight and every night. Happy reading.